Happy Thanksgiving from the Englert Theater. We decided to take the week off and present a rerun of a previous interview. We hope you enjoy our full conversation with artist, scholar, professor, and all-around genius, Christopher Rishi McMillan. But first, here's a word from our sponsors. Toyota of Iowa City has been owned and directly managed by the Drusicki family since 1981. What makes Toyota of Iowa City unique is their long-standing reputation for customer satisfaction in both sales and service, transparency, and supporting our community, including the Englert Theater. Please visit their website at toyotaiowacity.com to make service appointments, review inventory, or check out current factory incentives. Or find them on Highway 1 West. 18 months ago, the Englert and Film Scene announced Strength and Grow Evolve, our collaborative campaign with a mission to build the greatest small city for the arts by preserving our history, creating new spaces, and expanding our reach to the whole community. When the campaign began, we could not have anticipated the financial devastation of the pandemic in 2020. While we've raised an incredible $5 million of our $6 million objective and achieved many of our goals, our work takes on new importance as we fight to keep our organizations alive and thriving in this socially distanced reality. We're wrapping up this campaign amidst immense challenges, and we need you for the closing act. To give now, go to strengthengrowevolve.org and help us ensure the long-term success of the arts through the pandemic and beyond. We're so grateful for your support, and with your help, we will achieve more together. Back in July, we spoke with Christopher Rashid McMillan for the fifth episode of the podcast. It's always tough to edit down the amazing conversations we have with interviewees, so we're excited to present our full conversation with Christopher. To refresh your memory, he's a multidisciplinary artist and scholar, University of Iowa assistant professor, and a fellow at the Institute of Sacred Music at Yale University. So Christopher, thank you for being here. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Okay, so you earn an MFA in experimental choreography and a PhD in theology and religious studies. How did you come into occupying both of these worlds? Because to me, the layman, it feels like two very different worlds. Yeah, I think that's true to a degree, whereas um, I particularly work around uh, Christianity, and so most religions are embodied practices. Like they're happening with the body. They're from the body. You experience those in the body. And the same can be said for dance. Dance is an embodied practice. Performance is an embodied practice. And so um, rituals, liturgies, um, weddings, funerals, all those things also have a performative aspect to them. So Hmm. there's some, there's more crossover than it generally seems. Uh, And so my family's very religious, or was very religious, is very religious, I guess. And um, as a queer, as a queer person, um, I really wanted to understand what um, the Bible might have wanted to say about me or my life or about others. And so I thought the best way to do that is to really go all out and and finish tertiary education with with it. Um, and and I have a spiritual practice. Um, one might find me often at Sanctuary Community Church in Coralville because that's the church I attend. Uh, so mm. I, uh, even as a performance artist who uses sort of like race and, re- and religion and sometimes really um, pro- provocation, 
Um, I, I also have a spiritual practice. So, yeah. How did you, what inspired you to become a, a performance artist and dance and what sort of sparked that interest for you? Yeah. Trisha Brown set reset in 1985. She had a work. Um, it was probably the best, I could, I could consider it like the best dance that's ever been made. And nothing has been good as it made since she made that. Um, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but only just a little bit. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm like, oh my gosh, I need to yeah, see this. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's really, it's, it's, it's iconic. It's iconic American dance. And so I saw this piece and um, I was like, I want to be a dancer. And so this happened when I was in college. So it was really, really quite late. Um, muscles mm-hmm. were already formed, bones already formed. And so there's a way in which um, it became less about like technical virtuosity and much more about what can I express with my body? What can I do with the body? Um, mm. And that's sort of the same sorts of questions that I ask um, when I'm working between like theology and religious studies. Sort of what can the body do? What is the body saying? What's the experience of God or religion or spirituality? What's the, the embodied experience of that? And so, um, yeah, that's how, kind of how I found my way between them. I I never really imagined that like I'd not teach really um, that I'd, I'd be teaching some sort of conglomerate of all of these things together, um, and that I'd be teaching that at Iowa. But it you know it, it worked out. So <laughs> strangely enough, yeah. Uh, yeah. And you, I mean, you won an award, the class award for teaching. Yeah, I won the <laughs> teaching collegiate teaching award. Yeah. Yes, nice. um, um, which is, which is, which is really, a really strong nod um, that I'm, I'm becoming a better teacher because they, when you're training and doing things, they don't actually teach you how to be a good teacher. They just teach you how to do what you do as an artist. Um, yeah. And so, as you might imagine, a lot of my students don't look like me. Don't have my same sexual orientation, mm-hmm. or gender expression, and are from some mm-hmm. somewhat homogeneous populations. And so, um, often I'm, they are. I am probably the first black professor they're encountering. I'm the first queer professor they're encountering. Um, so I could be a lot for students. And so to really have won the collegiate teaching award really means a lot to me. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, kind of going off of that. So a lot of our listeners will remember your art installation performance, The Reaping mm. 4.62020. Yeah. Which, okay, I'll, I'll come back to that. But um, yeah. so that took place as a part of Witching Hour 2019. Um, and so for those of those listening who weren't there, it was a multimedia performance. Um, it was in public space one, there were videos playing, there was movement, there was, you know, mirror set up, like it it was, it looked like a gallery, you know, it was set up in a scene. Um, and the performance used radical juxtaposition to make commentary on blackness and white supremacy. Um, and I was there and I was there with a lot of our friends and, you know, it, the environment was, it was like walking into like sort of an intense like feeling of discomfort, which I think was sort of the point. And I think to me, it was the most memorable part of Witching Hour. And I actually like keep coming back to it in my head, especially now in 2020, um, which was in the mm-hmm. title of The Raping, which is interesting. Right. Which is interesting, um, right. Prof- prophesized could wow. be you know it's not you know it's not too far away but yeah of course um so I guess my question is um especially in Iowa 
it, it, it feels like the work that you're doing is like you are taking it upon yourself to, I guess, educate a little bit about what it's like to be black or to be queer. And obviously that's not your job. Um, that's not something that, you know, you should be expected to do, but it seems like you're sort of, you're doing that work. Um, is that emotionally exhaustive? Like what, what is it like to do yeah. that work? Oh, it's emotionally exhaustive. And this, the, I think I often say to students, I'm like, you are not paid to teach people. But actually, I am actually paid by the, by the, by the <laughs> university to teach. Yeah. So, um, in some in some ways, I feel like, and I teach in women's I teach in the women's studies, gender, women's sexuality studies department. So, very in some ways, very much, it's my it is my job to have to like to do it to figure out ways in which to bring things to awareness, um, mm-hmm. without being sustentatious or without being overbearing. Um, mm-hmm. and, and and performance art and body art inherently have some provocation about them in ways that traditional or like as, as a traditionally con- um, perceived or conceived as um, proscenium based dance forms don't always have the same sort of um, poke. Um, yeah. And so in, in that year I made two reapings. Um, one reaping was shown at Hampshire stage, which was made oh, for okay. our student, our student body. And the second mm. reaping um, I made on my own body. And, um, similar themes but unless you knew that they were happening together you wouldn't have put them together because sometimes what I feel comfortable um doing to my own body I don't feel comfortable asking students to do at this stage in their careers and their lives um and so mm-hmm. I might perform in the nude but I would never ask a student to do so and so um I think there are multiple ways to like um show choreographic thinking and choreographic work and so Sometimes it's a solo with my body and sometimes it's doing traditional, what, what I can see was more stage-based traditional work with our students. Yeah. Um, and in terms mm-hmm. of exhaustion, um, I think it's the daily toll of the everyday. Um, I, I, I think in light of what's been happening in the last 400 years, 400 years, and then particularly um, what's been happening ever since the, invent, like the invention of cell phones, recording devices, I think it makes visible what mm-hmm. wasn't seen, what what thought, what people might have thought wasn't seen. It's made something very visible, um, but by all means, it was already there. And so, I, uh, I have a hard time explaining to people that I'm no more in danger, and no, I'm no more in danger, and no more safe than I was four weeks ago. Um, is mm-hmm. that I'm always a little afraid that um, that I, I live in a vulnerable body as a queer man, and I live in a vulnerable body as a as a, an African American man, a black man. And so I'm always afraid that someone could enact violence against me. Um, And you become accustomed or um, attuned to living with that amount of fear, um, as Mm -hmm. as sad as that may seem. Um, And so there is some uncertainty and some some natural risk taking, I feel like, that just exists with my my body. And so it doesn't feel any more overwhelming. But I think Mm -hmm. sometimes having to explain... Um, white supremacy as an organizing structure uh, when I think in America we often um, imagine race as a moral, as a moral constitute, sort of an idea like you're a bad person if you have bias or you're a bad person, rather than thinking what are the ways in which certain people are advantaged and other people are not advantaged and taking it out of mm-hmm. the like 
moral and into the structural um, is, is mostly how, how I've been approaching both my teaching practices and sort of my living in Iowa practices. We'll be right back with the rest of our conversation with Christopher Rasheem McMillan after a quick word from our sponsors. This program is proudly sponsored by Shive Hattery Architecture and Engineering, building better communities for more than 125 years. Working in education, government, healthcare, industrial, and commercial markets, we are a client-first culture grounded in collaboration. Our architects and engineers recognize the power of design in transforming the human experience. How can we help your project transform your community? For more information, go to shive-hattery.com. Well, I, I love what you said about um, the visibility being more of a thing now, especially with phones. And I think art plays a huge role in, in that visibility because, you know, when I went and saw the reaping, I'm like, oh my gosh, this, you know, this feeling that I have right now of uncomfortableness or like this feeling that you and who, who else was dancing? Can we shout out? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Layla Franklin. Layla Franklin okay, yeah. is probably the... And I might mess up the dates, but I believe it's the first African-American graduate student in dance we've had. Mm, I call it eight years. It, it's been a long time. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. um, like most graduate students who like gravi- who I gravitate towards or they gravitate towards me, um, the idea is that they're colleagues and we want to launch them. And so if you are mm-hmm. doing a project that's outside, outside of the institution that might get um, some some radio time or some play time, you want to involve our graduate students in it so that they also can build their careers um, right. simultaneously. So it's it, it ha- it's more normal to happen, but particularly because of the nature of what I was working with, um, I thought it was a pretty um, a pretty great time and, a, and an opportunity to have Layla Franklin with me. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so it was two performers and the feeling that, you know, you got was just like this distinct like discomfort and like, I don't know, just like a little bit of self-awareness because yeah, like day-to-day life, you know, maybe we see these videos, but we don't comprehend or feel them maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like me as a white person, I don't really take time to comprehend and feel those or empathize Mm -hmm. or, but yeah, the art piece that, that you did really like gave a visual feeling. And um, I just think, yeah, art has such a huge role to play right now in um, the the human rights movement, and mm-hmm. I mean, in the during the pandemic. So yeah, in every way, yeah. I think. <laughs> and there's also there's also a moment where it's it was it's it's the everydayness of so there were two recordings. One was of a high school students students having conversations about um, killing all the black people and killing all the Jews, right? And just a regular group mm-hmm. of high school students. Um, and I believe they're from Missouri. And then the other was a was a, f- um, a fraternity, um, at, I believe at Oklahoma State University. Um, mm-hmm. And so they could be our students. They could be the students and the majority of the people in the town. And so it wasn't an attempt to sort of, I try not, I don't think guilt is very healthy. Uh, so it's not to elicit guilt so much as it's to say, these are us, these are us. 
And with the, the way that the mirrors mm-hmm. are situated, you can't help but hear these the the, the replaying of these like this um uh soundscape that's saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again and looking at the mirror and like you can't help but see the sort of well, the juxtaposition of that and also i'm provocating i'm pulling back i'm singing gospel songs i'm sort of like um mm-hmm. i'm obstructing your view so you can't see yourself and then i'm i am moving in certain sorts of ways a certain sorts of choreographic scores um without really attempting to sort of unpack it so much that it becomes like pedantic um, but just sort of like leaving space for, for uncomfortability. And mm-hmm. it's not, un- it's not uncommon to the comfortability as a male body person that I imagine that female body people feel when they have to like cover their drinks at the bar or they have to like um, hold their keys in their hands or they have to pretend mm-hmm. they're talking on the phone so that dudes don't talk to them. Right. Like there are mm-hmm. all sorts of ways in which um, as a, as a male body person, I'm privileged and I don't even know the ways um, that female body people are having to like cope and survive in a world that's not kind to them. But we know that six in every mm-hmm. 10 women is a survivor of sexual assault, more than likely perpetrated by male body people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It so, all, yeah. it all is, comes together and it does. Yes. Does all this mingling stuff. Um, okay. So, uh, changing gears a little bit. I want to congratulate you on your fellowship uh at Yale sounds like some big stuff right there I was like dang um and for that for that fellowship you're writing a book and it's called performance criticism scripture sex and the sacred and you'll have an uh, an evening length performance Mm -hmm. um can you talk a little bit about um what those are gonna be like like, or do you Mm. know or I, I, I think it, I, I think the idea is still a book-like project. I'm not sure it will be a manuscript as it's traditionally conceived. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not convinced that people read books anymore. So I'm trying to figure out ways to like to err on the side of like accessibility rather than on mm-hmm. the mon- the scholarly monograph, um, which sure. needs to happen, but I don't know if it needs to happen at that year. So what makes the Institute of Sacred Music really special is because they work at the intersections of Christianity and art. It just so happens that they've never had a dance person who works in Western, the Western tradition or who works in postmodern traditions and who happens to also have the theology degree. So it's generally mm-hmm. theologians looking at artists. They're not actually practicing artists themselves, um, generally, mm-hmm. I'm making a, a broad sweep. And so um, it's also one of the like heavy hitters in terms of theological um, grooming and um, the great great thinkers are at Yale Divinity School, great thinkers are at Yale in general. And so it's a strong nod um, in my direction for the work that I'm doing. And so uh, what I don't really get to do so much here at Iowa, because we're a secular school, we're we're state school, is I don't actually lecture about religion. That's actually not what I do here. Now, anyone who knows me knows that, like, there's always an undercurrent of, like, some um, black church, um, black African-American expressionism or expressionist from me. Um, But that's as much of of my culture as it is Mm -hmm. of a particular tradition. But when I arrive at Yale Divinity School, it would be very normal for me to be fully in, um, fully free to experience that um, at a a private school, first and foremost, and then at a a divinity school, 
Whereas I teach in a public school in a women's studies program and then in a dance program. And neither one of those have had great relationships with religion in general, in general. Mm-hmm. Another, some also out there broad sweeps, but the, of, of, I'm imagining now a project where I'll invite five writers and five performers to create um, documents um, that live online. And so that really start to think about what does dance and religion have to do with each other in the modern right now. Um, so not a historical project, but what is going on with our bodies and our spirits at this very moment, and particularly given the effects of COVID mm-hmm. um, on our lives. And so I'm, I'm looking for something much more um, contemporary at this moment. And but, but the hope is really to um, set the structure for what I consider, what I'm hoping to have is a growing library that will live at Yale after I return to Iowa um, as a, a sort of way to start the conversation officially on religion and performance and particularly religion and particularly Christianity and dance um, mm-hmm. as really viable ways of thinking and, and making meaning out of one's life. That sounds and, really cool. And I don't teach. So it's a year of not actually teaching, which is like, it's really the golden goose. Um, so it'll be <laughs> just working on my research. So I'm really, really excited. Yeah. You really get to dive in deep. That does seem mm-hmm. like the the dream there. And to return. What? Um, yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty It's pretty awesome. You're, exci- you're excited. I'm so excited. Like, it's... Um, I've been wanting to go to ISM uh, since, I ever, since I've heard of it. And there's a version of ISM in, at King's College London where I finished my PhD. Um, and so the world of Christianity and, re- uh, Christianity and art is actually really tiny, just like any sort of specialized mm-hmm. field. And so everyone knows about ISM and um, lots of professors of, who have gone on to have really prolific careers started at ISM. Uh, we're, in, we're, we're at ISM at some point in their trajectory. So it's really a marker of, at least a marker of engagement. Um, what you do at the time there, I guess, is up to you, but really it's, it's inspiring. I'm inspired. Yeah. And I'm so close to New York that it would be a shame not to put up, not to create a dance and try to show it there. Um, show yeah. a, a work there while I'm uh, an hour and 30 minutes from New York, given the distance between New Haven, Connecticut and New York City. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Well, congratulations. That's so exciting. Yeah. I'm I, I'm excited to see what comes of it. I'm sure we're all at the Angler going to be following what you create. So, And I'm really thankful for the Angler. I know this isn't about the Angler, but I have to just say I'm thankful that the Angler has been really supportive of me in several different iterations of performances and have thought through really complicated material with me and have said, yeah, we want to invest in your art. But even before the I, I joined the faculty here, faculty at Iowa officially, the Angler has mm-hmm. really been really, really good to me. So, so yay. I know that's weird. Long good to hear. Right, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we love it. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you so much for uh, taking some time to talk with us today. And yeah, I've, like I said, we're super excited to see what, what comes out of your, the future. Your thank future. you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This episode is supported in part by New Pioneer Food Co-op, your source for locally and responsibly sourced groceries open 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. 
with senior shopping hour from 9 to 10 a.m. seven days a week. You can also shop online for no-contact curbside pickup through the co-op cart at newpi.coop. Support for this podcast comes from Friends of the Inglert. To learn more, visit inglert.org friends. Ongoing support provided by the National Endowment for the Arts and the Iowa Arts Council, a division of the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs, and by the United States Regional Arts Resilience Fund. Phase One is an initiative of Arts Midwest and its peer United States Regional Arts Organizations, made possible by the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.